0: I've been punished for my uh, work. I have a dream this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of
1: its creed. We hold these truths to be self evident
0: that all men are created equal. It is
2: zero price tag on the debt. We're paying, we're going to pay for everything we spend. That's emotional, malarkey. I've
1: said it before, and I'll say it again. Democracy
2: simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
3: <laughs> it's the Ricochet Podcast. I'm James Lalix, and I'm joined by Peter Robinson and Rob Long. We're talking to Josh Rogan on China. Big topic. Let's have a podcast.
1: I can hear you. <laughs>
3: Everybody, it's the Rickshaw Podcast, number seven hundred and twenty-two. It was number five hundred and sixty-four, but inflation. I'm here with uh, (laughs) Peter Robinson. California, Rob Long, we presume somewhere gallivanting about funnier that he is, probably New York. I'm James Lylek. Like hey, everybody. What a week. Are you as excited and thrilled as, as I am by all the insider drama that attends a debt ceiling limit? It to, to me, it's the epitome of the story that I don't care about, and I should, because it really does sort of sum up all the kabuki, which has a real... Impact on what we do because we're just borrowing and printing and spending a lot of money, and right. no one seems to be able to do anything about it except to argue, Oh, I don't know, three trillion, four trillion, uh, as David from suggests, that's a bit too much. How about 3.8 trillion for something? What do you think is going to happen?
2: I don't honestly, I'm with you, I'm numb. I, I sort of understand that what's going on represents an outrage. Of, of, of really uh, almost s- staggering magnitude, Bernie Sanders tweeted this morning. See, see how current yeah. I am, Rob. You think yeah. I'm too? I, I looked at my tweet feed. This tweeted. Morning. Bernie Sanders tweeted that two senators should not be able to thwart the will of the people, by which he means Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema the two Democrats who were holding out against this thing. He said two senators should not be able to thwart the will of the other 48. Well, what he really means is that 52 senators should not be able to thwart the will of the other four. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is just outrageous. We're now anti-majoritarian. It's uh, all right. And the amount of money that the infrastructure bill has the support of, let's call them, Rob Long Republicans. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God! I'm waiting yeah, on the they kind to be to known. Against that. So that that has that has at least bipartisan support of some kind, um, but not this 3.5 trillion thing that they may never even get to vote on. But the the way Bernie Sanders is talking, the way the progressive wing of the Democratic Party expects, right, not the whole country, but the moderates in their own party to take orders and fall in line and put their seats at risk in the next election. It is politics turned upside down. It is as naked a will to power by the left in the United States as I have ever witnessed. I well, guess that's a what it in, it is.
3: Really? a moral imperative to spend this money, and it may be their last chance to do so, they think. Yes. What do you think, Rob?
0: Yes. Well, I mean, that, that may be the case. I mean, that, that is how it works. That's how the system works. It does seem like there's a lot of people banging their heads against what is the system we have, which is that you do not get, I said it over <laughs> and over again, you do not get the A plus or the B minus version of what it is that you want, no matter who you are, unless you have a supermajority. And even then, you're terrified because you've got to run half a, half a third of the government's got to run every two years. You get a C plus version of what you want. They, they, the, these people are like they, – they continually bat up against this brick wall. All of the components of this bill may or may not be popular. You know, It is, it is conceivable that if they broke it into five pieces and spent a week just telling you all the, the, the specific free stuff you're going to get on this bill and then the specific free stuff you're going to get on the next bill, they could actually garner some kind of support or energy around this. But they, they won't, and they can't, and so they seem to be angry at reality. They're angry at the map of the United States. They're angry at the founders. They're angry at the Constitution. And what's so bizarre to me is that Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin are the solution to their problems. Not the mm-hmm. not the they are not a, a problem to be solved. That's the solution. It's not a hurdle to be overcome. You need to embrace those people. Those are senators from West Virginia and Arizona, two states that are important, and they could win, and they could persuade. But they instead, what they want is they want to wish those states away and wish the Thank senators you. away who are senators who are center-left, mostly center, a little bit left, in a country that is center-left. They, the, uh, cinema and mansion are showing them the way, and instead they prefer um, to sort of retreat to the behind the MSNBC barricades, and that is um, silly and kind of baffling. But but ultimately you have to shrug and say, I, what wh- what what country did you think you woke up in this morning? You woke up in a country where the point of politics is to deal that is what it is we always say oh i don't all the how are the sausages made? that's what it's supposed to be that's the founders architecture you got to go in a room you got to make peace with people you hate that's what you got to do and even, even when you're absolutely convinced you're the most popular thing in the world you still have to eat a certain kind of sandwich that um, Ricochet code of conduct refuses uh, 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 and joins me from telling you what kind of sandwich it is. But you know what kind of sandwich it is, and it's the kind of sandwich you have to eat in order to get most of what you want. And um, I don't find that to be a problem. I find but that to be a you're, glorious you're, you're, part you're, of you're American life.
3: You're presuming that they believe that the. Part of American life you're describing is indeed glorious when actually it's a it's a remnant of white <laughs> supremacy founded in uh, western western colonial centric notions of how things should be. The point is no longer to make deals. the point is to do the right thing and shove the country towards utopia, which well. means that any institutional barrier be it the size of the Supreme Court of the composition of the Senate or anything or, or what the parliamentarian says all of that stuff can be cast aside in f- favor of saving our democracy, which is now a wonderful term for getting everything that we need to do to make this the post-American country that we know it has to be. Well, that's, yeah, but uh, I
0: mean, that's like you're down inside their head. I don't I don't care. That's fine. They can have any problems. The, 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 the system isn't going to... It is not going to change. You can scream at the ocean tides all you want. They're still going to come in and go out the way you want. You can't legislate that away. And it seems to me what's, what's so ironic here is that they, they, are, they have been given this incredible gift, which is, despite their progressive weirdness, that is way to the left of the American people. And, I'm you know, the right is weird, too, but they're less weird than the American people, and that's why they tend to win in congressional districts. Uh, they, they're given this, gu- this guide. You can have a lot of what you want if you can get Joe Manchin – to say yes. And the, the problem is not Joe Manchin. It's that Joe Manchin represents the center-left in America, which is really, really big and very persuadable. So why not do that? You are talking about people who literally
3: are screaming at the tide. These are people who believe that they can use the instruments of government to manipulate exactly— I, I, no, I understand. I no, I'm no, not no, no.
0: arguing, James, that they are right. I am saying that th- th- what, I, what baffles me is that they don't understand the solution is within arm's reach and they will not reach for it. And that to me is hilarious. And I think no no tragedy because the system's working. It's serving them up a slice of humble pie. And that I can't tell you how happy I am to see Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and the Democratic uh, uh, Assembly in the House and the Senate eating that pie simply because a kind of a plotting, colorless, not that interesting, maybe not even that bright senator from West Virginia, is saying, "Ah, eh, that's a lot of money. 3.2 is a lot of money. Can't you do it for less? Now, you don't think there's 90% of Americans are saying the same thing? Like, wow, that's a lot. That's my money, too, by the way. You can't do it for less? Right, like, right. Well,
1: just
2: do by it for less. By the way, on, on Joe Manchin, he may be plotting. I don't think he's unintelligent because no, of don't. the news, the news that the Wall Street Journal broke yesterday. Some. By the way it says something about what a good party loyalist Joe Manchin is that he didn't leak this document weeks ago. There is an agreement signed by him and Chuck Schumer that in which Joe Manchin lays out what he'll go for and the number is 1.5 million and he needs this and he needs this and he they sat down and yeah. worked it out in writing something like 2 months ago. Somebody will correct me on that but it's it, it a lot of money. Weeks—it's still a lot of money. He's—I mean—he's still a Democrat. He's not one of us. But they sat down and worked it out. And Chuck Schumer has had this piece of paper, with which he could have discussed matters with Speaker Pelosi, and they could have sort of worked toward Joe Man. Maybe they could get Joe Manchin up to two billion. But they had a document to use as a negotiating me- <clears throat> measure for the last weeks. And now they're all running around saying Manchin—he's thwarting the will of the Democrat. Who did-
0: it's ri- he's ridiculous. Like, he's it's away. ridiculous. And, and what's, what seems so strange to me is that it isn't, is that Joe Manchin represents a lot of them. Uh, there is a this hardcore right-wing movement of which I uh, staunchly belong to, which thinks that $1.2 is too much, that thinks that 0. $0.2 trillion is too much, that thinks that point oh 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 one trillion is probably too much, right? Um, there's a reason why the uh, the LLC that... Uh, contains this great, mighty ricochet network. is called Silent Cal, because we like Calvin Coolidge, because that's what he would think, too. But uh, there is no evidence. In fact, there's a lot of contrary evidence to suggest that the bulk of the Republicans or the bulk of the people who claim to be conservatives are against government spending. So the fact is government spending is a fantastic, fantastic thing to advocate. Correct, But Correct. 3.2 is too much. So You know, you're going to buy a new car. Maybe you don't buy the Rolls Royce. Maybe you buy the, I don't know, something, the the Cadillac, whatever whatever the nice car is. But it's not like austerity is not on the menu here. And austerity is not something that American people have ever voted for, ever, ever voted for. So (laughs) what's just so amazing to me is they won't take yes for an answer.
3: It's also remarkable how they've done a bad job at messaging, telling us what's in this thing. If we yeah. knew specific, if people knew specifically and clearly, they could debate the various merits. But they haven't made. I mean, what what we hear from them is climate change is infrastructure, healthcare is infrastructure, telecommunications is infrastructure, Pokemon is infrastructure, pastrami sandwiches for lunch are infrastructure. So we're just supposed to believe that this, this that there's this this thing will mm-hmm. just descend upon the country and ooze into its cracks, and from them will spring a thousand flowers. I mean, if they said. We have 72 bridges in this country that are in danger of falling down in the next 10 years, and that's what this bill does. That would be right. infrastructure. Right. If they said, we're going to upgrade the rail system so that we don't have any problems with uh, derailments because we're shipping a lot of oil on them, that would be infrastructure. What we get, though, are things, very little nuggets that you find out from people that say, oh, there's a pilot program in here for a mileage tax. So if, yes, this such a grand, if this is such a gra- grand idea that they want us to come come forward and make the case for it and explain exactly why you're doing this, but when they hide it and then it comes right. out, people get this crazy idea like they're trying to slip a mileage what's tax there? in here right. that will be on top of the existing tax that we have, and what's more, will require our cars to report to the government everything that we do and everywhere that right. we drive. And, oh, look over here. Here's something else they didn't tell us about. If they came up with banking reform and said, look. We're going to make sure that those top-tier crooks who are moving hundreds of millions of dollars around don't get off scot-free. But they come out with something that we find later is monitoring every transaction in your bank over $600. So people look around and say, wait a minute, I'm a small business guy. I I, I, you know, I, I, I haul up stumps from people's yards. I just got one the other day. Are they going to be coming after me because I I, I I, made an error in my bank? So when all the little details come out like that and you think, how many other are there? How many others are there that are going to affect my life in ways that I won't even see until all of a sudden I'm in arrears or not in compliance two years, six years down the road? It's a mess. It's a huge, big Product making a bowl of Jello studded with all sorts of vegetables that nobody can tell what it is. So yeah, bad messaging. <laughs>
0: yeah, but well, what's what's funny about that? You're, I think you're completely right. Is that it, it doesn't have to be that way for them. No. It, it, when was the last time the American people said no big spending? They like big spending. You just want to know what it is and how it helps me. Now they may not want big spending on some of the stuff that we're talking about here, like the the weird uh, Green New Deal nonsense or whatever's adjacent to that. But they absolutely do want the spending, I think, that Joe Biden outlined, which is like the, the person to come take care of your parents, the home health care, all that stuff. They, they, they do have an appetite for freebies, let's right. be honest. The, the, right. It isn't as if the country is, a, you know, Calvin Coolidge is standing athwart for this, this spending machine. Unfortunately, I wish it were. So, the, the, again, the path is so obvious. I, what, what, it's, what it strikes me is like they're, they're – I, I feel like none of these people are really interested – Actually interested in the things that they say they're interested in, not really interested in even the Green New Deal. What they're interested in is power. Power! Yes, yes. getting you to do stuff. And so is, what makes them so reaching. mad is that is that it, it, they don't they, – they of course, if you, if you have a goal, negotiating towards that goal is, um, you know, it's galling in many ways. But it's satisfying because at the end you get to shake your hands and everybody says, well, well we all got something. But what if you don't really want that thing? What if you don't really care? What if what you really care about is either being famous and getting invited to the Met Gala and being a powerful person who has power over – Right.
3: And also, you know, looking glamorous as you do. So what's the line? You can never be too rich or too thin. But, you know, if you're counting (laughs) calories, you know that counting calories is not enough to get you thin. No, it's got to be the right kind of calories. Right. I mean, you you can eat your 2000 calories a day, but it's junk and nothing happens to you and you feel bad because of it. Well, let me tell you about some science. The science. It's clear. A healthy gut microbiome with the good bacteria that help our bodies process food is a key to a healthy lifestyle. But now we're learning about the connection between your gut microbiome health and type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Our sponsor, Pendulum Glucose Control, is the first and only medical probiotic that's designed to manage A1C and blood glucose levels with the health of your microbiome. What's your microbiome? My- you know, well, it's the vast array of microorganisms that help you digest food. They may be small, they're tiny. These guys are darned important. And with Pendulum, they can help you get the help you need to manage your type 2 diabetes. Over time, people with type 2 diabetes lose the gut bacteria, the essential stuff that helps digest fiber and manage your blood glucose levels. So diet and exercise is still important, but if you struggle to maintain your levels with diet and exercise alone, your gut microbiome might need some help and attention. Pendulum Glucose Control helps fill in the gaps by providing the first and only probiotic designed to manage blood glucose and A1c levels. With Pendulum, you can feel the control of your levels, not the other way around. Take control of your glucose levels today. Try Pendulum Glucose Control for 90 days. If you're not satisfied with your results, your levels, you get your money back. Visit PendulumLife.com to find out more. And use that promo code Ricochet, of course, for 20% off your first bottle of membership. That's P-E-N-D-U-L-U-M-L-I-F-E.com. PendulumLife.com. Promo code Ricochet. And we thank Pendulum for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Now we're welcome to the podcast. Josh Rogan, foreign policy columnist for the Washington Post. He's been an invaluable source of honest commentary on the CCP's handling of the pandemic, human rights abuses, and their global ambitions. What they have global ambitions? Can't wait to hear this. He's the author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump G and the Battle for the Twenty First Century, which was released last March. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Great to be with you. Hey, we were first hearing, you know, stuff about this pandemic in China. China, I remember the early stories, they're dropping dead, they're welding shut the doors. At the time, you were working on a book about U.S. and China relations, so tell us about China Under Heaven what its aim was, how it may have changed in the writing when we went from the pre-pandemic to the post-pandemic world, or the pandemic world, which taught us a lot about China, or at least for some, opened their eyes to the truth of the regime.
1: Right, exactly. Well, you know, I started covering the U.S.-China relationship for the Japanese newspaper, the Asahi Shindun, in 2004. Uh, and that was shortly after, you know, this large bet had been made on China, a, a, a bet that if we just engaged China as much as possible and cooperated as much as possible and gave them all our money and took all of their money uh, admitted them into all of our systems, that eventually they would liberalize economically and then politically, and that that would solve all the rest of our problems. And that was codified by their entry into the uh, WTO and lots of other stuff that you remember from that those days. And over the past 20 years, it became increasingly obvious to a, an increasing number of people inside Washington and then around the country and then around the world that this bet had been lost. That essentially China had decided to go another way. That they don't want to liberalize. That they don't want to uh, evolve into a system that looks anything like the one we wish them to or the one that we possess. And uh, but the realization of that and the action to respond to has been. Uh, ridiculously slow and when donald trump came in all that we knew is that it was going to be disruptive and sure enough it was and you know that's why the book is called chaos under heaven because it was really chaos both in the united states relationships with other countries but also inside of our government as i'm sure you guys all remember uh but you know the subtitle of the book is trump she in the battle for the 21st century and that's a bold claim that's a claim that this relationship, the U.S.-China relationship, will be the most important relationship in the 21st century and the most important relationship in our, uh, the most important thing in our foreign policy for the rest of our lives. And, you know, when I started writing the book in 2019, I thought that would be a difficult case to make, but then the pandemic hit and that really changed everything because for everybody, all human beings and all 7 billion of us all over the world, uh, we know instinctively, we can debate how much, but we know that the Rise of China and the malign character and actions of the Chinese Communist Party have exacerbated our suffering. They've made this pandemic worse, that we now have a view of what it looks like uh, when China has the first-mover advantage and the most power and the most influence, and how it uses that influence to advance not its national interest, but the party's political interest at the expense of our security, our prosperity, our freedom and our Public health. So writing the book inside of my quarantine was kind of like uh, building a plane and flying it at the same time. But what ended up happening was that the the Chinese Communist Party ended up proving the thesis correct because the thesis was that we need a new strategic approach. We need a new response to a China that is increasingly military, militarily expansionist. Internally repressive and interfering in free and open societies. And, you know, like I said, in 2019, there were a lot of people who thought that way, but in 2021, I feel like it's pretty obvious. And now we're just waiting to marshal our resources to do something about it. Josh, my
2: late colleague at the Hoover Institution, Harry Rowan, who was at RAND and served in and out of government in very high positions, a very wise man. Wrote a column, published a column in the Wall Street Journal in, I think, 1996, in which he said that China would become a democracy around the year 2015. Now, that sounds preposterous today, but his argument was that at at the rates of growth that obtained in the 1990s, China would become about as rich by 2015 as South Korea was and as Taiwan was when they became democratic so here's the pattern south korea taiwan first they become rich or experience an enormous period of economic growth and then political liberties follow as i say that's preposterous to us today but here's the question were americans wrong all
1: along or did china change its mind right i mean the question of who lost china uh, is one for the historians. I'll I'll tell you this, you know, for the generation of young agent hands that I came up with in the last 16 or 17 years or so, uh, that question didn't much matter, frankly. You know why? Because we weren't in on that bargain. We, were, we had no allegiance to that bet because we weren't in government and we weren't even in, uh, you know, pr- our professional lives when that bet was made. So, you know, for a lot of us to sort of oh, well, was it wrong to get, make them this offer, or was that the responsible thing to do and they just uh, went another way, or is it still right to make that offer today? Remember, there are plenty of people in our China Hands community and our China Watching community that still think the only responsible thing to do is to engage and cooperate with China as much as possible. And again, for the young Asian Hands, and I say young uh, you know, carefully here because we're now in our late 30s and early 40s, uh we didn't really care because we always saw China for what it was. That doesn't mean that the younger generation was a monolith of opinion or analysis, but there was a lot less disagreement about the prognosis than the solutions and you know what the book is about is about that generation sort of taking hold inside the government during the Trump administration and having the first chance to really take a crack at this policy because of all of the craziness and opportunity that the Trump administration provided and what we saw was a turn towards a, 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 a what I would call a less hubristic approach which is that China's development can't be determined by the United States or by Congress it will be determined by the Chinese people one way or the other but what that means for us is that Rather than try to shape China, we have to prevent China from shaping us, that the real debate is not over who lost China or the suicidities trap or are we entering into a Cold War or any of these sort of 20th century bumper stickers that people throw out in order to sort of – Corral a real discussion about how to deal with this rising threat. The debate is over, okay well, if China is not going to change the way we want, then what do we do and what my, the, I think a lot of people, including myself, now advocate is that what we need to do is we need to change our behavior to essentially put the CCP to a choice that if it wants to continue its you know, blatant violations of everything from basic human rights law to economic law to you know basic interactions with states and peoples. Uh, That we're going to raise the cost for them, and then if they still insist on doing all of their horrendousness, that we're going to protect ourselves, and that's going to mean some decoupling, and that's going to mean some bolstering, and all that other stuff. So, yeah, who lost China? I don't know. I wasn't there. I can tell you what we're trying to do about it right
0: now. But, I mean, we, we've come a long way with – I mean, just in the t- past five years with China, I mean, look at the pattern. If you're Chinese, you just got to, you know, look at these patterns here. We had a Trans-Pacific Partnership, which you almost signed, which both presidential candidates said they were against, even though it would probably be the only way to corral China into sort of a regional trading uh, block that we're, that had leverage against it. Um, We had a very anti-Chinese bellicose president half the time. and The other half of the time, he was making deals with them that ignored the the crucial part of intellectual property law, which is what what most American companies complain about. And finally, we had COVID. I mean, let's be honest. It was a leak in the lab. We know that. I mean, the idea that it's not a leak in the lab – I mean, give me a break. It was a leak in the lab, and there have been zero – not only have there been no repercussions – I mean, just a thought experiment. If that lab was somehow in Tennessee, before Dietrich a 6 act play about where that who who did it, we would know the guy, right? Um. So what? And the only thing foreign powers understand, the only thing powers understand when they're dealing with each other, is leverage and pressure and consequences. None of which we have ever applied to China. So why shouldn't President Xi at this point be looking at uh, Taiwan and thinking, hmm? That's an interesting place. It's Chinese. Why shouldn't he? It seems logical. The, the, right. The idea that we need to change our behavior is like, I, I mean, I, I, t- really? Uh, the, the horses haven't left the barn already? No, I mean, that's why
1: you play the games. Of course it's not over. You know, uh, I think what I do de- try to detail in excruciating uh, – uh, uh, anecdotes and, and reporting in my book, Chaos Under Heaven, is well, that... Well, it's not so
0: excruciating. It's a good book.
1: <laughs> no, thank you, but like <laughs> yeah. the, the, some of the stories are, are harrowing because they show at, that at, at, w- at the same time that the Trump administration is waking up to the rising threat of a rising China, which does require a new strategic response, uh, their response was mangled because of the Sheer dysfunction in our government and inside that administration. And so, therefore, our first whack at sort of this new strategic response was badly mismanaged on a number of important levels. There's also no
0: appetite. There's no appetite in the media. And it in the media for thirty it, years. Well, for, but, for but, anti-China, like when when you remind people of China, of the, well, the Chinese genocide activities and the with the Uyghurs or, or human rights violations across the country, that China has represented in American culture since nineteen seventy two a kind of a funny little panda, a friend that we have, and we <coughs> use them as a lever against the Soviet Union. And then when the Soviet Union t- t- fell apart, we still kind of treat them as if they're competitors well, listen, and strategic friends right i mean well
1: listen rob you know there's been a lot of uh again due to the pandemic and just to address your point in the lab because i think it needs to be addressed right what i say in the book is we don't know how the pandemic started we sh- we can't rule out the lab so we ought to investigate the lab full stop now what i say uh often is that Listen, if you look at the piles of circumstantial evidence, it seems to me that the pile of circumstantial evidence pointing back to one of the Wuhan labs as somehow connected to the outbreak is way larger than the pile of circumstantial evidence that might lead to a natural spillover. But again, that's a matter of intense debate. But the fact is that we've never investigated the lab because, one, the Chinese government's cover-up centers around the labs, which should tell you something. Uh, And two, that the U.S. government hasn't done what it needs to do to investigate what we know, what's in our
0: files, how our relationships with those labs, including people like but I, Anthony I saying, Fauci. Comparing it, comparing it to Chernobyl. Chernobyl yeah. was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union when you were inside the Soviet Union. So right. uh, former Soviet citizens say, that's when we knew it had to end. Right. That no but, such thing is happening. In, Ch- in fact, China right now, President Xi is, he is leading, as a lot of leaders in China have done over the years, he is leading his own internal... Revolution, his own kind of purge, right. right? I mean, if you're a billionaire in China, you're in trouble. You better move to New York City fast.
1: Right. So, I call it the great leap backward, right? <laughs> okay, right.
0: But they're this turning is, back.
1: They're, they've, they've got enough of our money. They're, they're, they've seen that we've started to decouple from them, and now they're starting to decouple from us. On, but on Xi Jinping's terms, it's a very ugly
0: but that's, situation that's, that's getting worse. That's my second question, my yeah. strategic question, which is, you know, I, 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 whenever we talk about China, I always bring this up. Um, one of the problems with China is generational. So you have – the older generations remember starvation, and they remember cultural revolution, and they remember all that. Sure. If you're younger, if you're 50, you don't really remember that. What you remember are billionaires. What you remember is uh, Weibo and WeChat and seeing billionaires driving around uh, uh, who are who own factories, Chinese billionaires. And so there's a definite feeling from a younger people that they're – the past was glorious and, and equitable and that the present is filled with oligarchs and uh, corruption and, and riches. So if you're Xi, the best thing to do is to throw a couple oligarchs under the train and and, and try to win back the young people again without it all exploding. But thought experiment. China explodes all the – you know, every hundred years they go nuts, right? Right. Um, what's the likelihood that there's internal chinese disunity right that so that internally it's not as solid as we think it is right so i i think what
1: we're seeing right now especially with the drastic crackdowns and consolidation of power by one faction of the CCP. I describe the CCP as essentially operating like a cartel, like a mafia organization. It's if, right. it's like if the Gambinos ran the biggest country in the world, okay? And they have factions, and the factions hate each other and kill each other all the time. And and it's just like the mafia. If you get too famous, you get whacked. And essentially what it is at this point is a, a, a worldwide extortion ring. They go to you know companies right. and countries and continents and say, hey, nice country guy. there. would be ashamed if something happened to it. You know, and <laughs> right. then they, everyone pays up. And so, if you think about it that way, well, that, that clarifies sort of what our responses should be. It's a, with the way that you would deal with a criminal organization that involves more law enforcement and less diplomacy, and le- and it's definitely not a military problem as much as it is uh, uh, an economic, technological, and ideological problem. So, so I think that's a that's a that's a shift again. That's we're in the process of doing. But to answer your question directly, I I don't think we can count on the. CCP to implode. I don't think that's a a responsible way to make strategy. What we see is that the Xi Xi Jinping faction and the security state have melded into a super faction uh, that has no rivals, that has no uh, precedent, and that has no constraints on its power or its willingness to do evil stuff. And that is a a different kind of problem that we have to think about about in a different kind of of way.
0: The last kind of leverage war we fought was the Cold War, and one of the things we did was we supported dissidents within the Soviet Union. We supported dissidents within the Soviet satellites. We actually actively, uh, actively tried to break up the Soviet Union, um, and we did it, and we were sort of effective in many ways, but we were most effective in rattling the Soviets and the, the Politburo. Um, now, we didn't have any economic ties with Russia, so it didn't matter to us if the Russians were all unemployed, if Russian economy imploded. We didn't care. They didn't hold any of our paper. So, they, the, so the Chinese problem has sort of got two sides to it. But isn't there – shouldn't there be an all-out media or you know, message war, cold war against the Chinese – the chaicoms, right, the Chinese communists, and say, you know, the Uyghurs should have their own state. And up north, the, 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 uh, in the Koryo and Dongbei, they should have their own. They should have their own country. And we recognize this region. The, you know, in the New York Times, they don't even recognize Tibet. It's a it's an autonomous region of China. Shouldn't we, at some point, play tough? Right. So listen,
1: there's the reason that the Cold War analogies are so imperfect is because this competition, this com- confrontation is is different, okay? They're, we're more interconnected. Right. They're more powerful. They're, they have more money than the Soviet Union did. And by the way, we don't know exactly why the Cold War was won. Was it the dissidents? Was it the Helsinki Accords? Was it the fact that we just starved them of money, right? I think it's probably about that last one. And I think when we think about getting tough with the Chinese Communist Party, my idea is how about we stop funneling trillions of dollars of American investor Cash to their worst companies, to the companies that are building okay. the concentration camps and the, uh, the cameras that sit atop the concentration camp walls and the missiles and the ships that are pointed against us. In other words... We have to stop thinking of this in the Cold War context because it's a completely different style of competition. And the bleeding edge is in the capital markets, okay? It's it's really – and yes, we should use human rights as leverage, and yes, we need to support dissidents. And no, we didn't do that in Hong Kong, and that spells uh, terrible danger for Taiwan. So I'm not saying that shouldn't be an important plank of it. But if we if we're thinking it like it's 1989 we won't realize that it's 2021 when the real way to starve the Chinese Communist Party is to stop giving them all of our money okay and then we do that in such ways and then to stop taking all of their money to influence right. our institution so first of all the competition is fought inside of our borders it's different than Russia it's not the same thing we have to drain the swamp of Chinese, interference and influence efforts in our universities, in our tech companies, in our sports, in our Hollywood theaters, right. but that and that is especially in our Wall Street. It's a type yeah. of – it's a systems battle, okay? But, again, if you keep using the term Cold War, then you're going to keep coming back to – Well, you know, I agree that as a phrase, as as a, phrase. I,
0: a, a phrase of all-out cultural war. Yeah, but it's, it's been
1: a, abused to the point of – uh, diluted well, to the wait, point of being but I mean
0: useless but, in my but, opinion. Oh, but I would have to reclaim it, right? I mean you what you're arguing is a gigantic movement in the country. Uh that Correct. We, I mean we we couldn't even say the New York Times and National Public Radio couldn't even say until a month ago practically that it was probably a lab leak. So how, well, do they still don't gonna, how, right, how do you think they're gonna react when we say, you know what, we can't have any more Chinese students well, coming over here and studying what, technology?
1: What I what I what I think about that is that we need to engage all Americans in a constructive dialogue about what to do. And I think that's not happening in part because our media ecosystems, and believe me, I know this from working in mainstream media for the last seventeen years, are divided in that the China issue has become uh, another uh, you know cudgel from which the left and the right used to bash each other for their own partisan political bullshit, and that's a problem. So what I'm trying to do is depoliticize the issue by not saying to the New York Times, how dare you be a CCP agent, which I don't think is the case. I think most mainstream media organizations, and I've worked in 10
0: of them, by the way. let wants to run my thought. Yeah okay go ahead sorry most
1: mainstream act. organizations don't know how to cover china and right. they're not paying enough attention to it and if we uh you know just use the issue to bash them then we're not actually helping solve the problem bingo
3: uh, mainstream I, news and how they cover it you're exactly right um, I like, uh, you know, robbering of the Cold War. Yeah. I grew up during the Cold War, and I remember that it was very, very different than what we see reporting on China now, because the Soviet Union was an existential threat, and we were constantly grappling with them in secondary wars and with diplomatic initiatives. We would spend a year or two on the page, of the front page of the newspaper, talking about salt and start and all these other things that we're going to save but there's nothing like that in the paper. The tone with China is completely different. You have to go to some foreign press to realize that China has deforested an area the size of Montana, and we'll have grave ecological. consequences. Really, it's bad for them because I don't think fast-growing trees ships to China. Too bad. By the way, I don't know what the perfect time is to plant trees and shrubs in China. Do you know what the perfect time is for your place? Well, the big box experts will tell you, hey, uh, anytime, or, "Eh, that's a good question, man. But the best time to plant is actually fall, which means now now is the time to go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines, messy cars with dirt in the boot, digging through that lackluster selection. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants, expertly curated to thrive in your area and deliver to your door in one or two days. Whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, just added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system, ready to explode with new growth come spring. And I'll tell you this, I'm not going to tell you which tree I got, because I haven't got it yet, but I'm looking at what they have because we just lost a couple of trees my wife and i are trying to decide what to get and to tell you the truth if i went to the big box place i'd have two or three options and i'd be disappointed with this looking what they've got at fastgrowingtrees.com well we got to make our selections soon but wow what a variety it's going to look great too and it's going to live i like that there's a better way to buy trees and shrubs and plants for your home and yard that of course is fastgrowingtrees.com because fall is the planting season don't let anybody tell you different join over one million satisfied gardeners at fastgrowingtrees.com And they have a what? Oh, they have a 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee. Not everybody gives you that, and that means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. Now through November 30th, it's coming up. It's just you got a couple of months. Go to FastGrowingTrees.com slash ricochet for 15% off. That's 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash ricochet. FastGrowingTrees.com slash ricochet. And we thank Trees for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. But when it does come to the you know the ecological perspective that some people have on China, the recent stories about China's energy crunch seem to indicate, A, how we don't understand what's going on, and B the delusions that some people have about China. Some people are looking at the energy crunch that they're going through now and saying, It's wonderful because China is getting off of coal. They're really devoted to a great green new future. (laughs) And that's not the case. So if you could tell us a, what is going on in the energy sector in China? Because I think it is important. And B, yeah. how exact, how bad is our, our our media's coverage and understanding of China? Because it seems to me that they are leaving out ninety nine percent of what we need to know. Either because, as you said, the news corporations themselves are invested yeah. in yeah. having a market in China, or they're ideologically predisposed to wave it away because to be bad to China is to be Trumpish in some way. Right. So, energy right. first.
1: Right. Well, the the hottest debate inside the Biden administration right now is between the climate change people and the human rights people, because the, we've, we've sanctioned all the Chinese solar panels and polysilicon coming out of Xinjiang under forced labor rules, and the Chinese— uh, bitched and moaned and complained to John Kerry that they're not going to cooperate with us on climate change. And this is standard CCP tactics. They put two American interests against each other in order to divide us, in order to protect themselves for doing things like using forced labors to build silicon. Now, the other part of that, of course, is what you alluded to, which is that they're building all those solar panels with dirty coal, which totally makes them uh, you know, a, a push in terms of actually doing anything to help the environment, uh, which is ridiculous. But what John Kerry argues internally is that we have to look the other way at human rights abuses in order to work with China on climate change. And that's the state of the debate. So China has pl- promised to stop building new coal plants uh, or to peak in its coal production in 10 years from now. I mean, that's a joke. I mean, in 10 years, in the long run, we're all dead. And, you know, I think the the their game is to use this f- sort of false... Uh, head nod towards uh, energy uh, progressiveness. And that's not to say they don't have a lot of solar and all that stuff. I'm just saying they're doing it all. And their they're, they're concern is not the environment. It's to fuel their expansion. And and unless we realize that, we're going to fall for it again. And what we're going to fall for is them uh, promising to work with us on climate change in, in, or, in order to undermine our criticism of all their other bad actions. I think that's really the hottest debate. Inside. I don't know which way it's going to turn out. I hope that Joe Biden stands up for uh, the things that we believe in. Because by the way, if we Look the other way at forced labor solar panels in China, then we're really screwing over our own industry because how can American companies pay their workers and make solar panels without using dirty coal if there's so much uh, uh, Chinese polysilicon that's based on forced labor and horrendous ecological practices? So that's just another huge thing. Now, uh, when it comes to the media, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's in the six months since I've done this book, I've been on shows from Joe Rogan to Barry Weiss to – Steve Bannon to Morning Joe. I've done it all, and I always say the exact same thing. I say uh, we can't let the China issue become a pawn of our media wars. It's too important. It's, it's it, if, we, if we just retreat to our teams and to our corner, then our incentive will be to not solve the issue, which is sort of what you're seeing happen in Congress right now, and Republicans would rather have the issue than to solve the issue sometimes, it seems, and Democrats would rather – you know, defend their progressive wing from accusation. For, you know, accusations that they got it totally wrong. Then admit what you just said, which is that the lab leak theory. It looks increasingly obviously likely, and that's a danger to our public health and our national security. And that's what I'm here to advocate for: is to, uh, rather than attack each other in China, to start to realize that we're all in this together, and that, you know, yeah, the the performance of the mainstream media in China has been atrocious, and their their refusal to take the lab leak seriously uh, is unforgivable, and I live that every day, but at the same time, I work at the Washington Post and CNN, and I talk exactly the same way on those channels as I do right now, so it's not a a 100% monolith. It's complicated, and it can get better, and that's what I think we all need to be striving for.
2: Peter, you had one more before. Yeah, what's... You're talking about what we need to do, what we need to do, what we need to do. What do we need to do? Say, well, here, I'm talking to you from Silicon Valley. Sure. Two or three years ago, I talked to a, I shouldn't name him because he major venture capitalist. And that year, his firm was putting 90% of its investments, which ran to many tens of millions of dollars, into China. Now, should that out. be illegal? Should that be illegal?
1: How did that work out? The Chinese crackdown on the tech sector cost one trillion dollar in shareholder value in the last two months. Just think about that—a trillion dollars. They didn't even care for no reason. What right? do you want
2: to do about it? Do you want to make?
1: That what I want reason? to do is I want to I want to enforce transparency and and accountability, uh, the way that our law uh, prescribes. In other words, we ha- can't have the system where we allow China to flaunt all the rules because we think we're going to make a couple bucks before the. A gate closes, okay? And that starts in our markets on Wall Street. It starts with the SEC. okay. And if you just think about all those Chinese companies that can't be audited, all of their books cannot be verified by, by Chinese law. And then you think about the fact that our Wall Street firms are pumping institutional investors into those companies hand over fist, building a constituency in our society such that, we're so invested in these Chinese companies that we can't sanction them when they commit atrocities. That's I get the that plan. whole
2: argument. What do you want to do about it? You want to w- just wait for Wall Street and Silicon Valley to come to their senses?
1: No, uh, I think well, – Or you want well, to make it I
2: illegal for them to, to ship that kind of, make that kind of investment?
1: I, I want to enforce the laws that we already have, which is, which is that we should, uh, Chinese companies that raise money in American markets have to follow wow. certain rules, which they haven't done ever once, ever. So we don't really need a new structure. We just need to enforce the laws that are on the books as far as Wall Street goes. Now, we sort of see that happening a little bit, belatedly, right now. Uh, The next thing I think we need to do is we need to uh, 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 have transparency of all of the Chinese money flowing into our tech Mm -hmm. companies, our Wall Street firms. Wouldn't that – I mean just think about it. You don't have to make anything illegal. We don't have to close down our system. How about just basic transparency on – what chinese influence organizations are giving to our universities uh what chinese companies are investing in our local municipalities and our right. local police stations i mean in our local uh you know what what are the actions of chinese communist party influence organizations you know in our schools and in our uh in our uh, other institutions i mean if we just started that work today, it would take a decade, and no one wants to start it. So, if you if you want a list of things to do, I, I'll I'll rattle you off a thousand things. Uh, but the first thing you have to do is have the will to do any of these things, and that's why that's why I'm always trying to move the conversation to action items because. Right now, we're still debating over who lost China and do we have a problem here. So the answer to who lost China is who cares, and the answer to do we have a problem here is yes. And so then, yeah, if we, well, let's go institution by institution and name and shame the bad actors and expose all of the corruptions and then enforce all the laws. And if we just did that, if we just did that, that would be amazing. That would that would get us back to some place where we'd say, okay, now what do we need to build? What do we need to do in the areas of technology and in the political warfare and in in the ideological warfare to actually compete, right? We haven't even talked about – first, I'm talking about protecting ourselves and defending our institutions from an attack Mm -hmm. that's ongoing, Mm -hmm. all right? That's the first thing. The fight against China begins inside of our own borders. Then it's about building institutions with the frontline states, and then it's about building common uh, efforts with free and open societies, and then it's about – The third world countries where the competition is raging. And each one of those are are podcasts all by themselves. But uh, what we need to do, again, there's no shortage of options. There's just a shortage of of will.
3: Well, you say there are a thousand things that we can do, and there's a podcast in each of them. We are at (laughs) 564 (laughs) podcasts now. We're going to have you back every week, and I think we'll probably conclude within a decade or two, and we'll learn an awful lot. Hey, Josh, thanks an awful lot. In my regards to the Washington Post, so I still it? know a few people. I still know a few people who have hung in there from, since the '90s, so they, they got to be good or have something on somebody. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks for joining us. Bye. Uh, you, you know, the thing of it is, is this. Um, The more you think about these things, the more you realize that, you know, reading the Twitter, as Peter was talking about doing earlier or watching the news, uh, is disconcerting. And you start to develop this sort of fugue state in your head of events in the day. There's, oh, it doesn't seem sometimes that there's any way around it. Well, there is. You can't control the vibe of the world, but you can control the vibe inside your head. My personal little space where I stop listening to the news and I stop hitting Twitter is when I walk from my car to the work. That's when I like to, you know, get some music to give me my own soundtrack for the daily jaunt to come. So, what do I do? I reach in the car, in the glove compartment, and pull out my Raycons, where they always are, and they're always powered, and they're always ready They give me the little environment that I want to craft my own world between car and work. And whether you use them to pump up or wind down or work or work out, Raycons—they're going to be your go-to for on-the-go audio with The new Everyday Earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They've got an improved rubber oil look at the feel and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. You're not going to have any leakage. Now, these are impressive. Before you even start listening, you get three new sound profiles to make sure that you're listening to everything correctly with just the right amount of bass. There's Pure Mode for your blues and instrumental, Balanced Mode for podcasts and listening like this, Rock, Heavy Metal. Bass mode, if you find yourself in a hip-hop or EDM or reggae mood. And, yes, I am in an EDM mood often. That's, what the, that's the setting I use. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead. And, you know, somebody who walks downtown from car to, to office, yeah, you, you want to hear if there's somebody shouting crazy or sirens or something. And you don't have to worry about the sound going on because you've got eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic so you can take calls in your earbuds with the press of a button. Raycon started half the price Some of other premium audio brands. They really sound just as good, and Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. Happiness guarantee! Right now, Ricochet listeners get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com/Ricochet. That's b-u-y-r-a-y-c-o-n.com/Ricochet to save 15% off your Raycons. Buyraycon.com/Ricochet, and we thank Raycon for sponsoring this the Ricochet podcast. You know one of the things I thought we could do, and we, of course we won 't, although Peter maybe you would agree that we could, I would like to see some sort of uh, board that would stick at the China for every intellectual property violation that they 've ever done and just just simply refuse to import. if if they 're found guilty of something that 's it that 's it. your factory no longer is allowed to ship the United States your company is no longer allowed to ship. Your 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 uh, board of directors, your uh, right, the people who run your company. Sorry, that's it. I had back in the days when I was using electric razors before I went to Harry's because, of course, Harry's is a great product. Come back, Ab. First, I tell you, we miss you. <laughs> um, I had a Philips uh, electric razor that I really liked, and for some reason, I needed another one, and so I bought one online, Amazon, and it was an exact duplicate. The styling, the feel, the heft, everything about it was the same. Right. They had completely copied. Everything that Phillips did, and Phillips, I think, was building their razors in China. And I've talked to other people who say, "Yeah, you open a factory there. They walk in, they take specs, and then they go make it themselves for cheap." It's, it's to the. I mean, we're all more. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. It used to be you get a box of stuff from Amazon. It's like, oh, it's from China, of course, it's from China. And now you look at it and you say, "Damn it, it's from China." Damn it, it's from China. I wish That's it right. didn't have to be from China. And it's not because you're xenophobic. It's because you realize how much of this stuff is made over there, and, it's, and you realize what we've gotten ourselves right. into by all of us tacitly going along with it and shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, it was cheap. Um,
2: that has to change. I mean, decoup- decoupling means... The last time... I get what am I... My iPhone is a year and a half old now. Yours is probably more current. I'm sure Rob's is more current than that. But I bought my iPhone. I paid for it at the Apple store, and then they sent me a link. <clears throat> and the link showed me a map right? from Shenzhen, or what? I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, wherever, whatever the city was where this thing was, a map from China as it crosses the ocean and so that I could track it. And I have to agree. I thought to myself, you know, getting that little Apple package that says designed in California yeah. does not cut it anymore. Designed in California, but here's the little blip showing you making your phone making its way across the ocean from China. I'm just giving you my sort of visceral reaction. Two years before that, it would have been the coolest thing imaginable. But now, uh, no, I don't like that. I don't like that.
3: Designed in California means that there are 10 jobs, and we should all feel very uh, special to be in the same country with such geniuses. But it also means there are 10,000 people over here making it.
0: Do so, want to right. so but the even... price is right. I mean, you, we, we, are, we, we do Correct. benefit from the price. So, there, I, there are these sort of trade offs that we're doing. I mean, the, the, the electronic manufacturing of the kind that you're talking about with, with the iPhone will be let. I mean, you know, there's no point in investing in that in this country because it's ch- going to change radically over the next five, six, seven, ten years. They'll print them. In the uh, the <coughs> Apple Store will print your phone for you. you uh, when you order it, you'll go order it and then take a little walk around the mall and come back and it'll be printed and ready to go. Um, that's actually not that Who, far away. So, who's so, making the 3D printers? Well, I mean, that's that's, a, <laughs> that's that's another that's another issue, right? But that that would be what we would want to invest in, rather than investing in uh, um, you know, uh, iPhone factories. The the problem with this kind of investment for us is that that manufacturing changes so quickly, and that the requirements of manufacturing change so quickly that a country that has 300, 400, 500 million poor people. Or maybe 600 million poor people like China, it's much easier to sort of push them around. That it, the the truth is that the that a totalitarian, top-down, fully organized, structured economy with a a despotic regime at the top uh, is a very efficient way to build iPads. It's just not necessarily a so. Can we take suppose we
2: take that just as a kind of thought experiment. As I wish i thought of it while Josh Rogan was still with us. Apple makes its iPhones in China. In some way, that's probably not a good idea, right? But it's an example of the kinds of supply chains that one manufacturer after another has. As best I can recall, Apple is unusual in that it's a, it, gets, it sources most things through China. It doesn't seem to have backup supply chains elsewhere. Yeah. So, A... Do we pass laws saying, Tim Cook, you got to change that and you've got three years to do it? Do we – or B, do we wait for public uneasiness of the kind I express? You know, Apple, I wish – I'd feel much better if I were seeing a blip crossing the ocean from the Philippines than from China and let Tim Cook realize that maybe he can make his customers happy. They'd be willing to pay 50 bucks more and just wait for the right. market to solve the problem. How? What do you actually do? do about it when we are so tightly integrated with that gigantic economy for the good economic reasons that you just laid out
0: well i would say a lot of those things that that josh rogan talked about we probably do need to do we probably do need to enforce you know generally accepted accounting principles shouldn't just apply to american companies they should apply to chinese companies too um, and that if they're they found to be wanting, they should be delisted. That was something that the uh, de-listed Trump— Delisted from, from our, our exchanges. From our exchanges, mm-hmm. something that the Trump Department of Treasury was okay. trying to do, uh, and seemed like a good—actually uh, a, a, a very good warning shot of the bow. W- but you also want to look around—when you're in, in, ever involved in a complicated negotiation like this, which involves, which involves leverage and that they have some leverage over us, you look around and see, okay, who else in, the, in, the, in this sphere has the same concerns that we do? And can we be friends with them in this respect? And we had it. It was called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and everybody hated it. Trump hated it. Hillary Clinton hated it. And that's how you know it was probably the right thing to do because what it did was <laughs> it assembled all those other countries together in a voting block that China had to join. And that's a way that you get friends and those friends we we and Vietnam and Thailand and India and countries like that have together have leverage over China and that's kind of how you have to do it I don't think I think it was imperfect but it was a start but it was boring and it was sounded dumb and it was like it sounded like we were given it just sounded like bad stuff so everybody was against it um, but that's what you have to do it's a delicate thing the fish hook is in you can't just yank it out so you gotta you gotta work your way around it
3: I would like us to be part of some multinational exercise that, that did the, adjudicated these matters uh, for the benefit of all, but I also fear that there would be institutional capture where the people who were doing, representing the United States were not necessarily representing United States interests, but those of transnational finance and the rest of it and all those other paranoid ideas. But I want to go back to something that Rob said about the iPhone, right, and Peter, too, that it would be more expensive to make it here. That's true. Yeah. Now, I am one of those people who uh, sometimes I think that I change my iPhone more than I change my sheets. Uh, and the reason for that, by the way, is that my sheets are fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> the thing is, if you take your bowl and branch sheets off, you better have another pair ready to go right away. You know, you put them in the hamper, laundry doesn't get done right away. What are you going to do? you going to sleep on the mattress? No. you going to sleep on some sheets you bought at the department store? No, that's just like sleeping on the mattress cover or the pad because there's nothing like bowl and branch. We all have uncompromising standards in other parts of our lives. I like a car that's got good pickup. I like headphones that sound good. Why well, skip out on quality when you spend a third of your life in the bed sleeping? right well the husband and wife team that started bowl and branch realized no sheets on the market really met their standards for quality so they created their own they were super soft and expertly crafted the signature sheets Experience uncompromising comfort with the best-selling 100% organic cotton signature hemmed sheets. The cloud-weight, super-soft satin wave gets softer with every watch. That is true. They're crafted to the highest standards of attention of detail from sourcing to packaging. And the perfect balance of weight and breathability will pamper the warm or the cool sleeper throughout any season. So, like I say, I've got them, and I've had them for a long time because we've been doing these spots with them for a long time. And they just simply get better. I've had ones where, you know, after a while, it's like, wh- what am I doing? Am I uh, vibrating and sleepy? Or I seem to have worn through this thing in the course of the year. These are as solid and as soft, softer than the day we got them, and I'll never ever part with them. That's why I got two pair. So give your bed the White House treatment with sheets that three presidents have fallen in love with to experience an entirely new standard of comfort. Visit bolenbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets with the promo code RICOCHET. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code RICOCHET. And we thank Bola Branch for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Anyway, no, I do. I change my sheets more often than I change my iPhone. But the thing is, is that if my iPhone costs twice as much, I don't think I would, I, I would realize it. I haven't actually sat down and right. bought one of these things. For four or five iterations. I go in and there's this complicated sort of transmutation whereby the old one is converted to this amount and the new one is, is wound right. into my contract and the, it's almost, I, there's no increase it's maybe a dollar or something like that and maybe the contract is extended by a few months or something, but the, the idea of writing a check for the iPhone every year, I have no idea exactly what the thing costs because it's all so amorphous and there's, in the future, they always talk about more and more things right. being like this you rent them, You you don't right. actually own them it's just part of the constellation of objects in your life that you're constantly paying a monthly fee for so i I just wanted to say that about the iphone and it has the
0: no that's i think it's really true look we we have to uh, but we will have to decide no matter what that we are uh uh, willing to have major disruption in some areas in order to reclaim there are as thomas hole teaches us there are no solutions there are only trade-offs you're going to pay more for this or that you 're going to pay more for some stuff it's not you 're not going to get it when you want it. Um, there are benefits to having six hundred million impoverished Chinese slaving away and factories making stuff for us there are be- i mean there are benefits and so you have to give up those benefits and acting like there 's no payout, pay payout is, is is a mistake where I think we, we could do i mean what, what I would want to do is I want to identify who are the chief and this is, I mean, I, I will now, you know, we are working at here at the Ricochet Network on a podcast uh, with our host, a gentleman we had here, David Adler, who's very smart about this stuff and has been studying it for, for, for years, called Us versus China. How do you win? And he's going to have a whole bunch of guests, and he's probably going to have Rogan on, and, and that'll be interesting. Um, how do you win? Um, but I don't think anybody believes that we're going to – we're that, or that it's even – Desirable that we beat China. We, I, we want China to be prosperous. I would like there to be one billion Chinese people who are prosperous and rich. I just don't think that I want that to, I want to, in, enrich a tyrannical, oligarchical, slave state. Right. But threading that needle is going to be complicated, and it's probably going to mean I don't get the stuff that I want when I want it. We have, we have a, thick, a thick,
3: thick wet jute rope in our hand trying to shove into that needle. Peter, last question before we head out here. You know, when the guest was talking about uh, we have to talk about and, and surface and make people aware of Chinese communist penetration of various academic institutions, for example, do you think it has the same resonance as it did in the 50s when we're talking? I mean, back then we were talking about the red peril. People knew exactly what we meant, and it was a certain ideology. The word communist just doesn't seem... To work in the same residency. I mean, I, I don't know if people have a reflexive hatred of McCarthyism. Oh my gosh, we can't go back there. That if we started talking about communists in our institutions, that people would think McCarthyism. I don't think so, or am I
2: wrong? And does it? Do they seem? To, it's not the same flavor of communism. You're well. All right. Here's this, Stephen Kotkin, who's working on his third and final volume of his biography of Stalin. Stephen has read, as far as I can tell, Stephen Princeton, historian, and a friend comes here to the Hoover Institution each summer to look at the archives. And so I was chatting with Stephen one day, and I said, you know, I think it could well be argued that you have spent more time, he's been studying Soviet archives for 35 years now, you've read more in the Soviet archives than any other human alive. What's your big (laughs) finding? What's the one central finding? And Stephen replied, without hesitation, they were communists. This was not some great power struggle. They weren't using communism to assert Russian dominance in the world. Even when they were alone with each other and had nothing to prove to anybody, they talked like communists. All right. I spoke the other day with a fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He has a new book coming out in a year, and he's still working in China, so I won't mention his name because he doesn't. he wants to lie low until the book comes out. There's still research to do. But he said exactly the same thing about the Chinese. The reason China didn't become a democracy, hasn't moved toward democracy, as did South Korea, as did Taiwan. Taiwan and South Korea were authoritarian. China's communist. Now, they may be more Leninist than Marxist, but these people really believe it. And so when it comes to a question between economic growth and asserting the control of the Chinese Communist Party, they will always right. choose the latter, which is why they cracked down on Hong Kong, that which made no economic sense whatsoever. Up until last year when they cracked down, maybe still for all I know, but certainly up until last year, 60% of foreign investment into China made its way into China through Hong Kong institutions. They needed
0: that capital. They cracked down on Hong mm-hmm. Kong all the same. And what's interesting is that when they took over Hong Kong, and up until really, I mean, maybe six months before the crackdown, smart, in inverted commas, smart people were saying, well, let me tell you something. The Chinese are smart. They're never going to. They're never going to crack down on Hong Kong. They need Hong right. Kong. They're never going to do that. Like it's fine that they took it over. They're, here's what they're ne- here's what we know they won't do, and then they went ahead and did it. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say the difference. I, I guess I would just I agree with you, but I would add an amendment: is that the the Soviet Union wanted us to be communists. They wanted the Communist Party to win the presidential election. They wanted yes, communists yes. to be this is, this in, house, in the House and yes. the Senate. The Chinese do not care what happens to us. They they, they know that we are not going to turn Chinese. There's but a, racist, is a are, ethnic component yeah, to they their are Chinese, right. yes. and yes. That, right. is, that allows them to have a Chinese way and to want to gather up all the Chinese people into one larger nation uh, empire. Um, and it's why I think they don't have expansionist tendencies. They, they are not interested in annexing or coming in or saying, oh, you know, Thailand, you're not, Chi- you're not part of China. Vietnam, you're not part of China. Those people are not Chinese, so they don't want them. Um, but they also don't want to get smaller. So that's why I would say – that's why I continually say, although I'm sure that foreign policy mavens think it's crazy, that the part of American response to China should be to encourage in a highly disingenuous way – all sorts of ethnic groups in China, and their separation functions and their desires to be recognized as independent provinces. It shouldn't. We should make little Tibet's out of every region of China we possibly can, um, and let the Chinese settle it. of my, my favorite moments of like the, the the Trump administration was, of course, you know, eventually within 20 minutes, I think, it disappeared. But there was a moment <laughs> when Donald Trump sat down with President Xi in Mar-a-Lago. Very early, I, think, I don't know if he'd even taken office yet, but very early, and he said to, to President Xi, "What do I care about North Korea? That's your problem, right? Isn't North Korea your mm-hmm. problem? Shouldn't we hold you responsible?" He didn't say it like that, but that's what he meant. It seems like it's your problem, not uh, ours. Yeah. Which he then, within you know an hour, changed his mind. Thought, no, I'm going to meet Kim, the you know, little Kim Jong Un, the robot guy, whatever, the it little, it is, little Rocket guy. Man. Right. Um, right. But right. He had, he, his instinct was correct. Like we, there are levers that we can use. And we should use them
3: just to conclude it was interesting what and, and Rob's right I mean if you go back 300 episodes of this podcast you know that Rob has been talking about Chinese ethnicity <laughs> and I am, for a obsession. long time it's uh, it's just it's, it's his hobby horse but he also happens to be knowledgeable about it is so I mean at least to someone who knows little like me Rob seems knowledgeable about it so
0: <laughs> that's just, my usual
3: I mean, tip my hat but when Peter said that I mean I still have a hard time getting my brain around the guys that these guys that the Chinese are doctrinaire marxist leninists and have steeped themselves I'll buy it fine okay if that's the case but if so, you said they're more Leninist than Stalinist. Leninist, yes, in as much as what they've done is, is like Lenin taking the new economic policy in the 20s and saying, all right, to forestall collapse, we're going to lo- loosen up, lighten up a little bit, and have a brief period of economic liberty, except in the case of China, it lasts 30 years. That's a hell of an NEP. But when you read the last couple of weeks about the collapse of Evergrande, This huge property management company that they had that was threatening to have a contagion that would bring down all sorts of banks and the rest of it. You thought, how communist can they be if they're eventually undone by a property bubble? Because that's not the sort of thing that is supposed to uh, exist at all in, in a communist society. Yet that what seems to be one of the things that imperils them most. Phony bank loans, ghost cities. I, I don't know. You could say it's the propped-up economy. It's the desire to get the 8% every year that has made them to build endless numbers of ghost cities and have the desire and to make output. And now they seem and
2: to um, – yeah, so the journalism, it's all, it, it is all fascinating. Jack Ma, is at a conference it's not maybe bad. – Well, fascinating in a bad way. Uh, Jack Ma, conference with Jack Ma, maybe this would be, what, five, six, seven years ago. And here he was in California, and he was taking questions from the audience. And for all the world, he was an American, I beg your pardon, he was a Chinese Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk. I thought we can recognize this is the same kind of person. He had creative business ideas he wanted to invest in. He wanted to invest in Hollywood because he, th- he thought th- th- there was tremendous opportunity for bringing Hollywood skills to bear in China, telling Chinese stories. It was fascinating, d- d- full of daring and ideas. And now he's gone. He is just gone. I'm not, the communists haven't killed him as far as we know, but he has sh- for sure been given a message. Right. You've become too famous and probably too rich. Go away. Be quiet. And he has. All right. That's a, that is nobody. Nobody would have become that kind of person in the first place. In the old, this is the, this is. They're alike and they're different. Yeah, right. They're different because there was no Jack Ma in the old Soviet Union. Nobody. The only economic exchange we had with them was when we lent them money to buy our grain. It was pretty limited. There were over half a million Chinese students. Chinese nationals studying in this country right now. There were a few minor exchanges among physicists in the old days with the Soviet Union. So there was no Soviet Jack Ma. That's different. But here's what's alike. Jack Ma's gone. He's, they've silenced him. That kind of cross the state and we will come down on you, that's communist. That much is alike. This, this is, that's
0: why I say it's fascinating. In a bad way. I grant you that. And uh, just I know you got, we got to run, but in, in the uh, in the early days of the internet, and even in the early days of Web 2.0 or whatever they called it back then, um, there was this enthusiasm for technology and communication, especially as it as regards uh, oligarchical, tyrannical dictatorships like China. You're not going to be able to hold the bits and the bytes together. With, a, with fiber optic cable, there would be international communication. Well, you know what? Exactly. China figured out how to do it. And so the biggest criminals in China are the Jack Ma's. And the most important thing they can do is build a firewall around the country, which they've done. Um, and with the absolute complicit, I don't know, what what's the word, uh, uh, capitulation of American technology giants. Google, Facebook, Apple. Can I
2: last anecdote? I'm sorry, but there was a woman studying here at Stanford from China. She was from, I won't even name her university. I don't, you know, dealing with China, you don't want to name names, even in that big country. Okay. But I said to her, she was here for a year, and I said to her, what's the biggest difference? And I thought she'd say, oh, the weather is so much nicer in California than it is in my coastal city of X. Or American students are so much more for, no, no, she immediately said, oh, Google searches. Here I can do Google searches. At home, when I do a Google, of course we have Google, but at home, when I do a Google search, they're watching me and they give me filtered results. Here I can do a Google search. Now, incidentally, even that has changed. We're now more Mm -hmm. suspicious of Google ourselves. But think about that. That an academic in China typing in a search term in Google is conscious that the state is watching her as she does that. She better watch what her search terms amount to. That is just, I mean, it's so such a small matter that it's all the more horrifying. We'd be,
3: we'd be wise to loft a bunch of Starlink Internet provider that the over China and yeah. give it away for free. That could probably have, you know, that would be like Radio Free yeah. Europe on James, steroids. James, that and,
2: is the best idea anybody's had in this whole darn podcast. Now you may and, wrap it up. And I will. Um, I will be dictatorial, too, and monomaniacal in doing so
3: by shutting up my co-hosts. And saying thank you for listening, by the way. This podcast was brought to you by Pendulum, Fast Growing Trees, Raycon, and Bolin Branch. Your life will be better if you avail yourself of all of these fine services. And also, you may want to join Ricochet today. Would it kill you? No, I wouldn't. And it'd be great. Yes, the member page is free. Yes, the podcasts are free. But, ah, the member site, the Secret Society, that's where the fun is. Listen to the best of uh, Ricochet Radio Show, hosted by moi this weekend on the Radio America Network. Check your local listings. And, of course, leave us that five-star review. I don't know why I say it. You're not going to do it. I'm just, just, frankly, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, which could make me happy by doing it anyway. Reviews allow more people to discover us and keep Ricochet going up until... Oh, I think we're scheduled to finally quit it around episode three thousand. Can't wait. Be a long time between then and now, and in between we will see everybody at the comments on Ricochet four point two. Next week, gentlemen. Next week, boys. Next
0: week, fellas. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry 3 2 1 I would get that wrong Our sponsor Pendulum Pendulum 2 3 Why would
0: they say 2 1